5, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You that Your Word is always true and it always comes to fruition. And so I'm asking as we break Your Word and the bread of life that it contains for us, that You would speak to us, remind us that we are Yours and that You have always been with us and always will be. And I ask that whatever the message is this morning, that the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts, and the thoughts in our minds would be acceptable in Your sight, Heavenly Father, even glorifying. For that is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our strength, our rock, and Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Today is not only Teacher Appreciation Sunday, it's also Transfiguration Sunday. In the life of the church, it's the Sunday before Lent. And that means that the time of waiting for the season after Pentecost is now upon us. And the waiting is now beginning for Resurrection Day. But Transfiguration is when Jesus Christ went up on the mountain with some of His disciples and He turned whiter than white. Uh, so white that they said he looks nothing could make it that white with a Moses and Elijah and Peter and James and John with him were in observance of the sight. Excuse me, Peter, uh, James uh, and John. Yeah, that's right. Were with him. I just said the same thing twice. And uh, and, and they were kind of shocked, but they understood. And this is really cool. They understood who Moses and Elijah were having never met them. Now, isn't that incredible? And if you think about that for just one second, it might encourage you that you are known after you are gone. And you'll be known when you are resurrected. By all. Not just by a few. But even those who did not know you will know you. I think that's amazing. And that's one of the things I really like about that. But there is... Something else that transfiguration does, it's, it's a, like a transformation. Jesus was transformed from just walking around like a person and, and then just glowing, like brighter, almost as the sun. And that transformation is what they witnessed. It is almost as if He was being restored to His former glory before He came to be like us. However, the disciples that were there would not have known if it was that way before or not. But Jesus was restored to His glory for an instant. When God restores something, and this is how you got to look at this, when God restores something, like when you restore a car, it goes back to the way it was, right? But we, as people, don't know what God had us to be when we were created. So when we're restored, we're not restored to something like what we were a few years ago. We're restored in Jesus Christ 
to what we were created to be, the new creation. And so you might call it a restoration or you might call it renewal or a transfiguration or a transformation of your life. But all of those things are what we remember today in honoring Jesus Christ's transfiguration. And I bring that to you because in our world around us, we need people to help us and encourage us to be restored. To be willing to accept the challenge to be different than what we came into this world as and to grow to mature and develop into people of God. That is not something you're born knowing how to do, and this world will definitely try to take it away from you. The good news is that James gives us a real good message on how to do that. This whole book is an encouraging, challenging book, and the part we're in today, he talks about something called former and latter rains. Maybe you've understood those or heard those before, but I was doing a little research on those this week, and and I learned something I did not know. Now, the former rain is the rain in the early fall uh, for the planting season. In the latter rain is the rain that helps establish the stalk and the plant near harvest. Now, this is what's interesting. Our growing season is a little different than it is in other places. We plant around Good Friday, usually what they say. And then we harvest, you know, summer into fall. Well, in Israel, where James was writing this letter to, they plant in September. They harvest in May. Hmm. Almost sounds like a school year, doesn't it? They plant in September to harvest in May. And I thought, wow, how awesome is that? Because our harvest system and uh, season is different than that. And when I began to think about that, I said, so what James was saying is we need the moisture to get the seed to germinate. And we need the rains throughout and regular intervals to keep it growing. But toward the end, you need that last final rain to give it the growth to get it ready to go. You need that push. And that's what the latter rain was all about. If you look through Scripture, you'll see those references, Old Testament and several places in the New Testament. That's what it's talking about. The early rains and later rains of the harvest season. And so, we as people have come to a cycle where we, uh, we understand how our society works. And so we couldn't hear what James was saying and plug it into our culture. But when you plug it in with those understandings, now you begin to understand why I say this message lines up very well with teachers. Because it's on their schedule. You might say, well, how do I know that? I'm on their schedule. As a bus driver, I really appreciate uh, June and July. I really do. Um, because if I didn't have June and July, the other ones wouldn't work real good. But the, uh, the reason I say all this is James is talking about this, and in this section where we're starting on verse 7, it goes through uh, what he's talking about is patience. But he doesn't just do it in these verses. He goes on through verse 11 with six perspectives for patience. 
Today we're going to look at the first one. And, and next week we're going to look at the next few. But the patience that we have for perspective on what gives us patience, that's the kind of perspective we're talking about, is that we anticipate the Lord's coming. So if we are patiently waiting for God's coming, then we'll wait. Now, I really, really want to tell you something about James. James has a sense of humor. And, and I think you'll agree that he had teachers in mind when he did this. If you look back with me in chapter 1, if you have your scripture with you, in James chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4, he's talking about patience. He says that knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect or uh, complete, lacking nothing. And that word patience there in the Greek is the word kupamone. Does that resolve anything for you? No, I didn't think so. It doesn't mean either. I may be able to know how to spell it and pronounce it, but it doesn't mean anything until you know what it means. There the word patience deals with understanding a patience that patiently endures trying circumstances. So the world throws stuff at you and you've got to kind of endure it and patiently endure it. And the payoff of that, of that is that you would be complete. That if you can endure through the tough times, you can be able to make it into the good ones that are coming. Right? And so that word patience, you would think, well, he says it again in verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren. And in verse 8, you also be patient, but it's a different word. And I'm so appreciative of why James used this word, but the word is macrothemio. And, and that may not resolve anything for you either, but it, it sounds similar. It means patiently enduring, same part, but then difficult people. Difficult people. Patiently. You ever had to endure a difficult person in your life? I'm asking teachers this. It's a rhetorical question. All you got to do is say more than one. More than a thousand probably if you've taught any length of time. But difficult people. This is what James is talking about. That you need to be patient with difficult people. And there's a reason why he says this. It isn't just because there are difficult people and we got to rise above that, but there's something else that he says. He says, um, deal with them because they're not going to pass. You're always going to have difficult people until Jesus returns. You can just rely on that. Remember this, if you ever remember a sermon, if you ever follow along on the podcast or anything a while ago, I said, people act like people. That's just what they do. You expect them to act different than people, but they still act like people. And so what, uh, what James is getting at here is that when Jesus returns, people will stop acting like people because they'll now be glorified and be like Christ. But our intent as believers is to become like Christ. Now here's where things get interesting. And here's what verse 7 says. It says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. All the work a farmer does, he can't make it rain. He can't. 
But when we begin to pour our lives into other people, and people who we may have just met, or people we've been around a long time, that's like the former rain that we're pouring of God's grace into their life if we're teaching and training and lifting and encouraging in the name of Jesus and walking that out in their lives with them. Now, again, James says they're difficult people that you're going to be doing this with and they may not receive a single thing that you say at first. You take a look at James's history. James is the brother of Jesus. Jesus was teaching, raising the dead, pouring out miracle after miracle, and blessing and multiplying uh, fish and loaves. And James is a witness and he goes, that's my brother, i got nothing to do with him. But James would observe Jesus as he did things from a distance. And so James was receiving what's called the former reign of grace, the seeds of the gospel, watching his brother Jesus do the work of ministry, and James was angry with him. James was a difficult people. We all have been difficult people one time or another. If you don't believe me, ask people who followed you on the road sometimes. There is always something we've done driving that will upset another driver. Even if we're driving correctly. Get out of my way! Is one thing I hear people say when people are going the speed limit. Or less. Well, what I'm trying to say is that we all have a circumstance in our life that means we need grace. We all need grace. And so, James kept telling Jesus, quit doing this. You'll see where he says in, in, in the Gospels, where he's telling Jesus, you need to stop doing this. You're embarrassing us. You're an embarrassment to the family. You ever read that? That's what they say. You are embarrassing your family. But they still listen to him from a distance. Over time, Jesus kept doing the same thing. Giving a little bit of education here. Teaching. More miracles. Proclaiming the same consistent message every time. And then James died for that message. Died for that message. And resurrected. And did you know that when Jesus was resurrected and came back to life, it was only after that that his brother believed. The resurrection for James was the latter rain. When Jesus becomes more than just a person and becomes truly the living Son of God, things change. That's what happened with James. Remember, this is my brother, you know. Yeah, he's not no Son of God, he's my brother. You know, that's mom's kid. Son of God. You know, that's the attitude he had. But James heard Jesus consistently teach. And when he resurrected, he remembered. And he said, difficult circumstances will land, difficult people will not. Until the coming of Jesus. Now our prayer is that Jesus would come into lives sooner than later. That the return of Jesus would be to restore us while we're still here before He returns in final glory. 
Wouldn't you agree that it would be better to have everybody return to Jesus and born again and saved and lifted up rather than waiting until the final day and it's too late? Won't that change difficult people into godly people? That's what the Holy Spirit's job is, to stop us from being difficult people, although some of us have trouble agreeing with the Holy Spirit for some reason. Um, But I want to share something with you. That James, when he talks about the difficult people, he is pointing at himself first. And the difficult circumstances, he's been through them. And so you can't really connect with James until you've had some difficult people and difficult circumstances. And then when you understand what he's saying in light of that, it makes a different picture of what he's saying to us. Because he's talking about a a difficult people and patience, but he says we're waiting, putting up with difficult people until the early and the later rains. The former and the latter. And so he says, because a farmer does... You also be patient. And this is what he says. Establish your hearts. You know, I love how the Bible will say something and sounds really poetic. But it loses the power of what's being said if you don't understand it. Establish your hearts is simply be strengthened in your fortitude. Be lifted up and courageous again. Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, when James said that this is the perspective for patience, he didn't want us to miss something. And this is one of the things that you miss in this book if you don't understand this. James says, you live your life like everything depends on you in the world around you. Reaching the community, helping others, blessing others. Live like it all depends on you. But in your mind, knowing every last bit of it comes and depends on God. Because a lot of people say, well, God's got to do it, or i got to do it. But not too many have the perspective of, I'm going to work and labor in the field because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and I'm going to be a worker in the field. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it because it all depends on me. But I depend on God. Because anything I do, I can do nothing of any importance without God's blessing and power going through me. I've done a lot of things in life where I try to do what I thought was God's will, but God's power wasn't behind it. And not a lot came from it. It just happens that way. But when you begin to allow Jesus Christ to work in and through your life and begin to say, I'm going to do the work and you just back me up, God, because you're the one who wants me to do the work anyway. So you can walk in a line with God's will and He's like a tailwind pushing you forward, but it becomes easy. I'm going to give you a simple example of this because I've never experienced this before. Last Sunday when I spoke, it was a very powerful message and a part of me came out, I, I, I mean, I was just passionate. Deeply passionate about what I was saying. And usually at the end of a sermon, I want to go home and go to sleep because I'm tired. Because I've given a lot. But yes, last Sunday, I didn't feel that way. I felt like I just stood here and I was a vessel and something else was doing the work. Now I was doing it, but it was like God doing it through me. And so when I got home, I was energized. I didn't need a nap. We didn't have night service, but I still didn't need a nap. 
then it was great. It was, it was amazing because I said, how'd that happen? When you are doing what God wants you to do in your life and what you're called to do, you'll be energized by doing it. God will move through you, but you still got to do the work. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't do preparation and understand and wasn't connected with what I was saying last week. But what I'm saying is that something else took over. That you get out in the field and start doing the work of what you do and something else takes over, life changed. And it may be that that's the early rain that you're putting down. And it might be the latter rain. But whatever it is, James says, don't give up. Keep doing the work. Encourage your heart to be steadfast in work. You and I, in faith, are the results of latter rain. If you have not yet come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're still getting the early rains because you're not harvested. You haven't been born again, born from above yet. But here's what James says, don't give up, ever. The fruit and the harvest will come. Keep sowing. Keep praying. Keep working. Keep the faith. Like a farmer or a gardener planting seeds and tilling the soil and pulling out the weeds at the right time, trust that what you're doing is going to work. Even when the difficult people are the ones you're trying to till. I, I'm going I'm to throw a story of Jesus out here. I'm, I, I normally don't throw extra stuff in here, but this is just so funny, and it connects to me with driving a bus, and I think it will with teachers. Jesus, in, in, if you look in the Gospels, there's two different times where a fig tree has not produced fruit. And he wanted to eat off of one. He cursed it, withered to the ground. And so later they came to a fig tree and there's no fruit on it he wanted to eat. And, uh, and the disciple says, let's burn it down like you did the last one. Kind of like what, what he, they said. And he said, no, not this one. Let's put some manure around it and work the soil a little bit. This one still might produce fruit. So there's some kids you just want to throw some manure around. Yeah, <laughs> They might throw it around themselves. And they want to make you really have to work harder. But the ones you love harder that change the most are the ones you remember. For sure. Because I, I know how that goes. And so James is trying to get us to strengthen our heart to establish this firm courage that doesn't give up no matter what. If you remember Winston Churchill, his famous saying in World War II, Never, ever, 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 ever give up. He was the glue that held Britain together. They held superior over a superior force in Germany because they didn't quit when they could have quit. And they didn't have um, the hope other than that God was on their side and would bring them through. Here's what I think. Teachers endure, I think, put up with sometimes. Difficult kids, because they know kids are still fashionable, get this, if in the right environment. Right environment. Kids don't get it at home, some of them. I know. 
And some of them need to come to a place where at least for a little while, someone will love on them a little bit, believe in them a little bit, so they can start to believe in themselves. That's the right environment. And that's the difficult kids because they've never had a role model to show them how to be loved. I've seen so many kids who uh, are victimized, if you will, by abusive parents. And the way they express love is by cussing and hitting, yelling and stealing because that's what love is to them. And when they get put into a different environment, they have to learn the true language of love. And it's very difficult to transform that language because they stick out like a sore thumb. And they don't know it because they think everybody else has a problem and not them because this is what they know is true. But when you put the, the lie in the face of the light of God's love and truth, something happens. God begins to add to your work the work of the Holy Spirit in them and blesses them. And that work is not only honorable, it's eternal. In the right environment, children who don't care about themselves do. But it doesn't just apply to them. It also applies to society. It applies to the church. There are people who come to church. As a matter of fact, we have folks coming to this church now who wouldn't attend church for over 40 years. They gave up on church. That's why we call ourselves the church for people who gave up on church. Because people find a church home here. They're welcomed here. They don't understand why, but they don't mind. As a matter of fact, then, and, and what you see is they open up and they start giving their time. Because they want to give something back that they have, that they can give back because they feel like they want to reciprocate the love that was given. You know what I mean? And so, never forget that although you may not see the rewards of your work pouring and investing into lives, they will remember. And it will transform them. Because everything you do in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, if you give even just a cup of water in my name, you will, know, you will not lose your reward. Just a cup of water out of love. Maybe the one thing that transforms a life. Several years ago, early 2000, I was one of those people who needed a place for love. A place where I needed to find out that the world wasn't always bad. But I was in a really bad situation and I wound up homeless and uh, living out in some woods in North Carolina for a while. And I'd been a minister in the United Methodist Church previously and then wound up in that situation alone, miles from anything I knew. And uh, I decided, after a couple of days, decided maybe my life can have hope if God will do something, but I'd given up on God. But there were still some former rains present. And there was still a root that they had germinated from the seed. And so I knew God could do something if he would. And I said, God, if you can do something, do something. And I walked into a hotel, which was near where I was uh, laying. 
and I, and I got a hold of a phone and I called a couple Methodist churches because I knew Methodist pastors might understand the Methodist pastor's story and, and a plight. And the third one I called a, a young man, I'm thinking in his early 30s, answered. I think he might have been a student pastor new to the ministry. And, and I said, uh, listen, I'm, I'm out in the woods behind this certain hotel and... Uh, and I and I I just need some something to do. I don't know what to do. And he said, "Okay, I'll come get you." And he had connections in the community. He knew where the homeless shelters were. He took me and got some clothes and bag of food, and took me to a homeless shelter. Dropped me off. I never saw him again. Simple act, right? Just picking someone up, taking them two different places, and then you're out of their life. A little bit of rain, right? But when the rain falls at the right time, and you never know when what you're doing is the right time, but when it happens at the right time, growth happens. It could be the final push that's needed to break through the soil or to produce the harvest. We never know. But never stop sowing. I don't even remember the man's name or his face anymore. It's been 20 years. Almost 20 years now. But I want to share that story with you because he was latter rain for me. I took an hour, maybe an hour and a half of his day as an interruption. But he made sure that I made it all the way to where I needed to go to have a few days of comfort. It was in that place. Two minutes after he dropped me off, the God came. He'll never know. Until one day in eternity. And in that day, the latter rain caused me to grow and give me hope. You never know, so don't ever give up. And now, look at me. I'm back in the pulpit as a United Methodist minister paying forward what He paid to me. Telling you, don't give up. That God is still seeing you, knowing you, recognizing where you're at, and He's able to pull you out of that situation because He's good at getting you through difficult circumstances. And He's good to go with difficult people like we've been to transform us and those around us if we'll just keep pursuing God's grace and mercy and pouring it out and not giving up. This is what I'm saying this morning. And this is what James is saying. Be patient and establish your heart with courage and strength. Bear yourself down with roots for the long haul. Don't quit. Don't ever give up even on the days when everybody says they hate your teaching or your presence or your words. As long as you're presenting God to them and you love them, you are reigning. You are reigning. And all I can do is say thank you when you do. And one day, one day, not long, God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And that is the prayer that I have for us.
As I'm getting ready to close, we're going to do a disposition of ash today for those who are willing to receive. And the reason it fits in so well today with this message is because it's a matter of time. Truly. From the time we're not anything until we go back to being dust. It's only a matter of time. And what we do with that is we only got a lot of t- so, so many days, hours, minutes to breathe and, and make a difference in people's lives. And if we don't remember that we only have a certain amount of time, we're going to take the next day for granted rather than taking this moment like it's the one I've been given and I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm going to be steadfast in this moment and sow the seeds right now. And so this morning, if you're willing to receive ash this morning, what we're going to do is, what we say over that is, ashes to ashes, from ash to dust you came to dust you will return, so give glory to God with your life. Because that's what it's all about, is giving glory to God with your life. It's about knowing that, if you've ever heard this saying before, on a tombstone you got a birth date and a death date and a dash. You ever heard that about the dash? What you do with your life is in that dash. You got a certain amount of time that's called the dash of your life. And either you're in here building people up or you're blowing out flames of hope. You're either working with difficult people and not running from them, not criticizing them, but realizing if you love them, even if you think they're going to take advantage of what you're doing, but you're still going to do it because it's love then you're still pouring rain. The right rain. The right kind of rain. Not the flood. Not the deluge. But the rain that causes the seed for that person to somehow say, why are they doing that? Why do they love me like that? I don't deserve that. And to begin to question and and begin to really understand what love is. A truly sacrificial love which we begin to understand more thoroughly throughout Lent. So let patience have its perfect work in you. And you stay steadfast. And you keep the course. As Winston Churchill said, don't give up. There's no such word as retire in the Bible. That means you have influence till the day you die. Keep teaching, keep loving, keep blessing, keep encouraging and knowing that you are making a difference whether you see it or not. Do not base it on what you see. Base it on the promise that God says, I will grow the fruit if you will do the work. And we need that in this world. We need it desperately because there's so many people who are just taking up space right now. Don't you be one of them. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You that Your Word in Jesus Christ was filled with hope and promise and courage. And I thank you also that this day we got to honor those who've made a difference in our lives. I think of the teachers who influenced me, who helped me, who cared for me, who uh, gave me pet names and helped me when I fell and helped me when I was strong, always seeking my best, even when my best wasn't in my own interests at the time wasn't even in my own thought. But today, Heavenly Father, I ask that You would, in this place and this time, honor those who've loved us that way.
those here in this room and those in our minds, whether they're gone to be with you or they're still living, because they have truly influenced us in ways that are immeasurable. And may that influence span generations, Heavenly Father, into eternity. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.